That night, I ran across the far pastures of Cassie's ranch and tried to figure out my emotions. It was a wet night. Rain was falling, although not hard by earth standards. The grass was wet and moist. I could feel my hooves picking up the worms that come out of the ground when it's wet. There would be extra protein in my diet, which was the last thing I needed. Too much protein keeps me awake. The clouds overhead hid the moon and the stars. This made me sad. I like to find the home star at night. It has become a sort of unofficial ritual. Something I do for myself. To remind myself that there is a place for me in the galaxy. I may not be there, but the place does exist. Or am I just fooling myself? Yes, I have a home planet. And a home on that planet. And a people like me. But will I ever fit in there again? Have I changed too much? Been with humans too long? I saw the lights of Cassie's home. Once I had morphed into Prince Jake and gone there for dinner with Cassie's parents. I have Prince Jake's DNA from the time when he became infested by a yerk. It's a treasured memory. Dinner with Cassie, I mean, not morphing Prince Jake. Sometimes, when I'm alone in the woods and thinking about home, I find myself thinking about that evening instead. I ran faster now, no longer concerned with eating, but just wanting to feel the impact of raindrops on my face and my chest. If I could run fast enough, all the drops would hit my face and chest, and none would fall down on my back. I saw a wooden rail fence, almost too high to jump. But I ran straight at it, kicked, tucked my front legs, and sailed over. There was a thump as one hoof nicked the top rail. I landed easily and realized I was panting. I slowed down and trotted back toward the woods. I could have beaten him, I told myself. I could have forced the fight. I could have struck again before he had a chance to get away. Another part of my mind answered, No, you would have lost. He's taller, bigger, he's more experienced. The Andalite body Visser 3 controls used to belong to a great warrior. Visser 3 has all of that warrior's skill and experience. You went tail to tail with Visser 3 and let him get away. I went tail to tail with Visser 3 and at least I didn't run away. You wanted to. You were frightened. I'd be a fool not to be frightened. But I didn't run. He did. I realized I'd come to rest, standing beneath a particularly tall pine tree just back from the edge of a meadow. Tobias's meadow. What's up, Axeman? He called down from the darkness above. Are you awake? Yeah, I have this slight tendency to wake up when big, blue, scorpion-tailed alien centaurs go crashing around in the woods like a herd of ruptured elephants. Tobias is sometimes harsh when awakened. 
it is a human characteristic that he has not lost. I apologize for waking you. How do elephants come to be ruptured? Tobias sighed. He floated down to a lower branch, then sailed over a fallen log. You're stewing, aren't you? What? Stewing. Going over things again and again in your head. Around and around in circles. Asking yourself the same questions again and again. Then starting it all over again. How did you know? Look, Axe. The first time I saw Visser 3, and you know when that was. I cried I was so scared. He was an alien. He was unfamiliar to you. Alfangor was an alien. He was unfamiliar. He didn't scare me. Visser 3 did. Not because of what he looked like, but because I could feel something coming from him. Like a dark cloud. Like a smell, almost. This feeling. I don't know any other word for it. Like I was looking at something that needed to be destroyed. He was evil. I felt it. And I had this horrible understanding. This knowledge that one way or the other, that evil was going to touch me and change me. So I just cried. I have met Visser 3 before, I said stonily. I should not have been afraid. What could you have done? I could have forced the fight. What if you'd lost? What if I'd won? It would have been a terrible blow against the Yurks. I would have avenged Alfangor. I would have done a great service for my people. Look, Axe, you went up against him. He backed down, not you. He was surrounded and outnumbered. He thought each of you was another Andalite warrior, ready to demorph and attack. He retreated with honor. Honor, Tobias said derisively. He's a cold-blooded killer. He's an invader in someone else's land. He's just another gangster. Murderers don't have honor. I should let you go back to sleep. Okay. You want to drop it? It's dropped. He looked around, blinking, almost as blind as a human in the darkness. Hard to sleep when it's raining anyway. Tobias, the bird that Visser 3 morphed, it is an Andalite bird. It's called a Kafit bird, from my home planet. You're thinking, what, that Visser 3 must have been on the Andalite homeworld in order to acquire it? Yes, I am worried that the Abomination has set foot on the Andalite homeworld. I felt Tobias grow tense. Now he was beginning to understand. But he said, Sometimes people must take animals off the homeworld, right? I mean, just the way you can find an African lion in a zoo in America, Europe, wherever, right? So, okay, someone totally innocent takes one of these birds off your planet. They get hijacked or whatever, and it ends up in Visser 3's hands. I wanted to believe it was possible, so I said, Yes, that could be it. But I didn't believe it. I believed that Visser 3 had either been to my world, or that some ally of his had been there. 
Either way, it meant only one thing. The Yurks had begun to reach into the one safe place in the galaxy. My home. Chapter 7 We met at the barn where Cassie and her father care for sick or injured non-human animals. It is called the Wildlife Rehabilitation Clinic. It is a large, dark building made of wood. Within it are numerous cages made of steel wire, and within the cages are the sick animals. Tobias was high in the rafters. From up there, he can see out through a sort of window, and can warn us if anyone is approaching. Everyone else was on the ground level. Cassie was working, pushing piles of dirty hay with a very large three-pronged fork. Prince Jake would occasionally lift something out of her way. Mirko and Rachel were just chilling. That's what humans call it. I believe it refers to the fact that when humans sit very still and do nothing, their body temperature drops. Thus, chilling. Someday, when I am old, too old to be a warrior, I will write a book about humans and their strange habits and speech and technology. For example, did you know that humans invented books before computers? Because of this, they believe computers to be superior, despite the very obvious fact that it takes one of their computers as much as 30 seconds to load a page, while a book page can be accessed with zero effective delay. One would almost dismiss humans as a quaint, unimportant backward race, except for two things. First, these are, after all, the creatures who have raised the art of taste to incredible levels. Humans may be technologically primitive, but they have created buttered popcorn, the Snickers bar, chili, and cigarette butts. Although humans themselves become very upset by the idea of eating cigarette butts. And let us not forget, humans, for all their faults, have created the cinnamon bun. Someday, after the war, there will be pilgrimages of Andalites streaming to Earth to morph into humans for a day and do nothing but eat cinnamon buns. Get the extra frosting. It's worth it. Axe, are you paying attention? Marco asked. I snapped out of my daydream. Yes, of course. Because, see, I've said the same thing to you twice now, and you just keep staring off into space like you're a million miles away. Please tell me a third time, and I will pay attention. I said, by Visser 3 morphing an Andalite bird, maybe he was sending a message. I mean, he still thinks we're all Andalites. He was pretty sure he was chasing an Andalite and morph, right? So he chooses to morph an Andalite bird? That's not a coincidence. That's a message. And that's the second reason not to dismiss humans as unimportant. They are unbelievably quick to adapt. Just a few months ago, Marco didn't believe there was life on other planets. Now he's accepted that fact, absorbed an entirely new worldview, found himself in the middle of a war using morphing technology he doesn't understand, and even managed to have insights that I missed. Yes, I said slowly. Yes, but why? What message? Marco shrugged his shoulders. 
He's rattling your cage. It's like, hey pal, while you're stuck here on Earth, I've been in and out of your house, hanging out with your buddies, eating your mom's cookies. My mother doesn't make cookies, I pointed out. The sense of taste is unknown among... The visitor's yanking your chain, Rachel said. Messing with your mind, Cassie agreed. Jerking you around, Tobias said. Trying to baffle you with... Oh, never mind, Prince Jake said. The point is, you have two questions. How did Visser 3 acquire this bird? And why did he morph it to attack you? That's not the real question, though, Cassie said. The real question is, what are we going to do about Hewlett Aldershot III? Marco stuck up his hand. Get him to change his name? You know, it's a pretty good plan Visser 3 has, Prince Jake pointed out. He acquires our man Hewlett Aldershot III. Then he walks into work at the Secret Service offices, punches up anything he wants on the computer, sits in on secret conferences, and ends up knowing everything the Secret Service knows. What does the Secret Service know? I asked. A lot, Marco said. Ah. Oh. It's not just what he can find out, it's who he can talk to and get access to, Rachel said. He can find out if any information about your activities ever gets to... Whoa! Marco shot straight up on his two wobbly legs. I can never get past thinking humans will topple over when they do that. What whoa? Prince Jake asked mildly. Whoa, as in, whoa, Rachel is right. H.A. Third can talk to anyone, right? He can talk to his boss, right? So if he was to walk in and say, Boss, guess what? Parasite slugs from outer space are invading Earth. Well, okay, they'd throw him in the nuthouse. But if he was to walk in and say, Parasite slugs from outer space are invading Earth, and guess what? I can turn into a rhinoceros. And then he actually did turn into a rhinoceros. Well, suddenly, boom, the secret is out. The Yurks are screwed. Unless his boss is a controller, Rachel said. If she were a controller... Why would Visser 3 be bothering with H.A. 3rd? Cassie pointed out. But then she turned to Marco. What exactly are you thinking? Are you thinking about morphing Mr. Aldershot? Duh, yeah. We don't do that, Cassie said. I thought we decided we don't do that. We don't morph humans. I morphed Prince Jake, I said. I was excited by Marco's idea. But there are times when my human friends are reluctant to do whatever it takes to hurt the Yerks. Sometimes, so am I. And Cassie morphed Rachel that time, Tobias said. First of all, Axe, you're not a human, so maybe it's okay if you morph Jake. Besides, Jake would have given his permission if he hadn't been infested with a Yerk. And Rachel did give me her permission, Cassie said. Excuse me. Marco said with an edge of sarcasm in his voice. Our man, H.A. Third, can't give permission. He's a vegetable. He's a carrot. He's a cabbage. He's a tomato. I thought tomatoes were fruit, Rachel interrupted, trying to provoke Marco. It's called a persistent vegetative state. Thanks so much for your sensitivity, Marco, Cassie said. But we don't know if Mr. Aldershaw is that bad off. He could just be in a coma. We don't have the right to go stealing his DNA. The man is a Brussels sprout, Marco said. We'd never get in there anyway, Prince Jake said. 
Visser 3 knows we know. We have to be inhuman morph to acquire Aldershot's DNA. You think we could do that with Visser 3 on guard? Not likely. Everyone looked downcast. Prince Jake was correct. But then Cassie said, Oh man. What? Marco demanded. Cassie sighed. I'm totally against this, but... But? But? But what? Cassie turned to me. Axe, is it possible to acquire DNA from blood alone? Yes, it should be. Blood? Rachel made a face. We're going to get this guy's blood? Not me, my friend. Hepatitis? HIV? Uh Uh-uh. Diseases cannot be transmitted during acquiring, I said quickly. The acquiring process absorbs only DNA, and that DNA is isolated, encapsulated within your own bloodstream, in a super-low temperature, and thus very stable, neutron molecule sphere. You see... I think my brain just fell asleep, Marco interrupted. So, okay, the blood is safe for us. So, Cassie, how do we get it? Cassie explained. All the other humans, even Tobias, said, Gross. They said, Gross, very loudly and repeatedly. I've learned something from my time with humans. When they say something is gross, they are almost always right. Chapter 8 So, how do I acquire it without it acquiring me at the same time? Prince Jake asked nervously. Don't be a big baby, Marco said. Like you've never been bitten by a mosquito? Never in cold blood, Prince Jake said. It was several days later. My human friends attend school five days in a row. Then they do not attend for two days. They don't know why. But they try and arrange for missions to take place on non-school days. We were in the barn, surrounding a transparent glass box. In the box were a number of small, fragile-looking flying insects. You need to catch one in your hand. Don't squeeze too hard or you'll kill it, Cassie said. Like this. She stuck her hand in the box. After two unsuccessful attempts, she enclosed a mosquito in her hand. She withdrew her hand, covered the box again, and began to focus on the mosquito. After a moment, she opened her eyes. Okay, who's next? Just hand me your mosquito, Marco said. It probably already bit you, so maybe it's not hungry anymore. We can't all morph the same mosquito, Cassie said. Only females suck blood. Males are useless. Amen, Rachel said, then laughed. So, what's that mosquito in your hand? Marco demanded. Like I know? Cassie said. I don't have a magnifying glass that good. And even if I did, how exactly do you tell a male from a female? That's easy, Marco said. The males think loud belching is funny, and the females don't. Is there any chance we could just get on with this? Prince Jake asked. Yes, I said. I do not fear the bite of these tiny insects. I put my hand inside the glass cage. I had some difficulty grabbing one of the creatures, though. Human hands are stronger and faster than Andalite hands. 
In the end, Cassie grabbed a mosquito and handed it to me. Thank you, I said, and began to acquire the necessary DNA. When we had all finished, Prince Jake said, Okay, let's go. We morphed two birds of prey to fly quickly to the hospital. With hairier eyes, I saw that the human Hewlett Aldershot III was still in his hospital bed. But there was a major difference. There were now four large humans seated around him. In the room next door to the left, we saw four more. And in the room next door to the right, another four. Human controllers, no doubt. And no doubt, heavily armed. Twelve armed humans to protect Hewlett Aldershot III from us. Kind of flattering, actually, Rachel said. Twelve guys? And maybe more we don't see. The Yorks must have some high-ranking people in this hospital, Cassie observed. To get two private rooms just for guards like that? So how do we get in? Marco wondered. How about a diversion? Rachel suggested. I go into Elephant Morph, Jake does his rhinoceros, and we rip that place apart. I said, as I understand, we each hope to bite the human so that we can be reasonably sure of extracting sufficient blood. But Rachel, before you can go from elephant to mosquito, you must pass through human. I, on the other hand, have no need of an intermediate stage, and nothing would draw the attention of a bunch of controllers better than an endolite. It made perfect sense. Prince Jake agreed that it made sense. So while the others went up to the roof and morphed back to human, in preparation for becoming mosquitoes, I landed in a dark open window at the far end of the hospital. I fluttered inside, waited, listening. I heard human breathing. My hairier eyes adjusted to the darkness, and I could make out a young human female looking very frail in her bed. I demorphed as quickly as I could, shedding feathers and growing fur. Suddenly, the girl's eyes opened. Who are you? she demanded. Are you a fairy? No, I am an endolite. It was all I could think of to say. Besides, I felt reluctant to lie to a sick child. What's your name? My name is Aximili Escorth Isfil. That's a funny name, she said. Then she closed her eyes and began to sleep once more. I took a deep breath. I moved to the door as silently as I could. I opened it and stuck one stock eye out into the hall. Two humans in white were at the far end of the hall. I took another deep breath. Well, I thought, I am supposed to create a diversion. I opened the door and stepped out into the hallway. The two humans did not see me till I had nearly reached them. Then their mouths opened very wide, and their faces began to change color. One turned white, the other red. I don't know why. Holy! Obviously, they were not controllers, or they would have been yelling Andalite, rather than Holy and What the? These were innocent humans. Hello, I said. 
Please do not be alarmed. It's it's some kind of mutated deer. It's got to be some kind of trick. It's got to be a trick. All right, Terry, you can come out now. Ha <laughs> ha, big laugh. I passed them by and kept walking toward the heavily guarded room of Hewlett Aldershot III. A human went past, pushing a cart loaded with food on trays. He never looked up. He just kept looking down as he went. Then I guessed he noticed my hooves. Ah! He cried and shoved the cart so hard it turned over. Thus began the diversion. Suddenly, doors opened. Heads stuck out and looked and screamed. People came running down the hall. Most turned around when they saw me and ran the other way. Oh no, did you see it? Did you see it? It's a monster! I knew they were doing a genetic experience down in the labs. It's some kind of freak! It would almost have been insulting, if I were sensitive. But then the door to the right of Aldershot's room opened. Out stepped a human. He gaped at me for a second, then yelled, Andalite! He gaped one second too long. He yanked out a gun. I snapped my tail forward, and he quickly dropped the gun. Andalite! He screamed again, but with extra hatred this time. Now the guards came boiling out of all three rooms. They jammed into the hallway, too many to move freely. Human guns were being drawn, and I saw a couple of handheld Yurk Dracon beam weapons too. In a split second, they would all start shooting. The lead slugs from the human weapons would be the most dangerous. Not just to me, but because they would rip through the walls and might hit innocent people. Shoot! Shoot him, you fools! Or Visser 3 will have us for lunch! One of the humans roared. Fwap! I whipped my tail, left to right, a millimeter from slicing open the front row. They backed up, stumbling back into their fellows. Fwap! I whipped again, but now they were ready to start fighting. And I was seriously outnumbered and worried about innocent human beings being hurt. Obviously, I had not planned the diversion very well. And that's when it occurred to me. The one way to keep from getting shot. I surrender! I cried. I want to defect! Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs Auditory Experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel, and I am sleepy, so let's just get through this very quickly. Um, I did get a message on Tumblr from a Jewish Pangolin, I think. Uh, I'm doing this off memory. Sorry, I, I looked at that earlier, and I just don't feel like pulling it back up, but... Uh, they've written in before, and they're writing in again to mention that they had just finished Book 13 and that the Elemist voice was a little hard to understand. And word, feedback taken. I've been mm, not super happy with that. It's, uh, you know, I'm trying to strike the balance between listenable audio that doesn't take too much work on my part and um, overwhelming god voice that the Elemist is described as, and I haven't quite struck the balance I like, so I'm going to continue tinkering with it. Uh, 
as the Elemis continues to become more of a prominent character. Uh, hopefully we will find something that everyone likes, but in the meantime, uh, sorry if, if it was a little hard to understand. We're working on it. It's a work in progress. Uh, other than that, uh, if you would like to write in, you can do that at audiomorphscast at gmail.com or audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. You can also do that through my website, theapodcalypse.com. That is theapodcalypse.com. Like apocalypse, but with a D in the middle. Uh, you can also do that by writing me a rating and or review on Apple Podcasts, if you so choose. That would be neat. Um, this won't get back to me, but you could tell a friend, and that friend could write in to me and tell me what you're thinking. That's all I have for you this week. I'm still trying to uh, regain my equilibrium from my vacation, so uh, sorry if I sound a little out of it. I am out of it, and good night. <laughs> my name is Daniel. And I believe one day, the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. I changed shapes just to hide in this place, but I'm still alive.